Welcome to Shit Your Teenagers Won't Tell You, and trust me, there's a lot of it. I'm Kathy. And I'm Meredith. And we're experts on teens. Yes, that's actually a thing. We've worked as college admission officers, prep school administrators, and have coached and mentored thousands of teens in our lifetimes. When it comes to teens, we've seen it all. Teens can be wild and wonderful all at once, but they can also frustrate the hell out of you. The good news is that we speak teen. So join us every week as we drop knowledge and interview teens and other experts to help you gain valuable insight into your teenager's world. Because parenting is hard AF, but we've got your back. So Meredith, it's good to see you again, my friend. Hello, Kathy. Hello. It's good to see you. How are you? I'm much better now that you're here. Oh, I love it. I love it. My bestie. What are we talking about today? We got good stuff, huh? Well, we're going to talk about motivation today and specifically uh, something that seems impossible to us mere mortals, which is motivating your teenager. And this topic's coming up because Mm -hmm. I think it's like one of the first things that parents say when they contact Village for coaching. They're like, what is wrong with my teenager? I can't get them to do anything. Please help me not murder my child. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're not doing anything. And I don't know what's wrong with them. And are they just lazy? So there's always something, you know, like actually one of our other coaches at Village just wrote an excellent blog post about motivating your teen. And, uh, you know, she ended up writing like five pages. She's like, I think this is more than a blog. I was like, yeah, I think it is. <laughs> She's like, there's just so much around around procrastination and the motivation. I was like, I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're not going to go that deep today, but we are going to try to like just cover like why your teen, like why does it seem like your team's not motivated? How do you motivate them? And, uh, you know, like what not to do, like how to, how to not right. unmotivate your teen even more because you can do that. How to not make it worse. Yeah. How not to make it worse. Right. Cause I think sometimes in our frustration, we do that unwittingly, not just as parents, but as just adults with teenagers working with teenagers. For sure. For sure. I mean, first of all, I think it's like such an important topic. We get asked about this all of the time, but it's also an important topic because find me one person on this planet who has not procrastinated or who has not felt unmotivated. Everybody feels that way at some point. And I think right. when we're talking, you know, it's, so it's like, like we have to kind of normalize it and, you know, it's rarely in our experience in my experience, at least Kathy, you can tell me if you feel differently. It's rarely because someone is lazy that they're unmotivated, right? There's, a, there's something else happening. So yesterday I have a perfect example of what I mean. I was working with a student who is woefully behind in school. I mean, like real behind, <laughs> like real, real behind, uh-huh. like real behind. <laughs> yeah. And she is feeling the heat. You know, her teachers in their sort of efforts to be available and kind are like constantly reaching out to her, reminding her like, okay, this thing is due on Friday. Okay. Like turn this in. Her mom is all over her and we're talking and I said, well, tell me what it's like when you are, you know, on the bus going home and you get home, like what is going through your mind? And she's, and she said, I know what I need to do. Like, right. She's not, she knows what she needs to do intellectually. She has a planner. She actually does write things in it. She understands what she needs to do, but she's sitting at home. She's like, I'm literally just sitting at home and I cannot get myself to start. Mm-hmm. And overwhelmed, just yeah. stuck, 
overwhelmed, right? And so that I think is a perfect example of what a lot of parents maybe observe in their kids when they, what they might label as unmotivated, right? Mm -hmm. Her mom thinks she's on her advisors on her. And really what it's about is she's putting things off. And this is what we talked about. I was like, okay, you're putting things off because it is uncomfortable Mm -hmm. to feel the emotions that come up for you when you don't put that thing off. So in her case, right. She is confronted with the knowledge that she is really behind in her classes, that her grades are not what she wants them to be. That is going to raise her anxiety meter to the nth degree. So what is she going to do? She's going to go watch TikTok videos for 20 minutes instead of starting anything. 20 minutes is actually pretty good. <laughs> I thought you were going to say two hours. Well, <laughs> I was like, 20 minutes And then she's going to do something else. <laughs> So, you know, like that avoidance, that fear of failure, the self-recrimination, a lot of students will work really hard to avoid that. It's going to show up as as unmotivation. So I think that's part of what makes procrastination so tricky, right? Absolutely. You know, Megan was just wrote this in her blog post where she was saying that procrastination is a, it's a challenge with emotional regulation more than it is like a character flaw. Right. Because we all, like you said, everybody procrastinates probably on a daily basis. There's something that we put off, right? Because we don't want to do it because it's boring. It makes us feel dumb. Like I don't do math. Like I literally will do everything I can to avoid math because I think I'm bad at it. Right. (laughs) So it's like, there's, there's this thing, like every time something comes up where I'm like, oh my God, it has to do with math. Uh," Like stresses me out and I don't want to do it. And I put it off. Right. That's why I have an accountant. Because I don't want to do my books, but like, yeah, for sure. you know, it's, it's for everybody there, it, there is this thing. And at the end of the day, it's about, and I think we see this with so many of the teens that we work with. It's just, and I'm working with an adult, like not a teenager, like a straight up adult who struggles with the same thing, right? Like it is being, and it, I struggle with it, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just being okay with not being okay. It's so hard. Yeah. Having to do work. Oh, tolerating discomfort, right? Tolerating the uncomfortable feeling of you doing math, right? Or sometimes I avoid, I'm literally sitting at my kitchen table right now, looking at my very messy living room thinking, oh my gosh, I really should clean this place. And guess what? I'm probably going to find a lot of reasons why I shouldn't, because it's just uncomfortable to go there. And I think when you, when you add in the layer of like age, for young people, they're also, you know, there's a developmental component here. They don't have mm-hmm. sort of the decision-making skills um, and the emotional regulation mm-hmm. capacity of adults. Mm-hmm. Like neurologically, mm-hmm. they're just not wired to make those kinds of choices. So it's even worse, right? <laughs> and we know, you and I know, <laughs> that this pisses parents off. This frustrates mm-hmm. parents <laughs> to no end. And you know what, parents, we feel you because it frustrates us too. So, you know, Kathy, like, what do you think? you see as the, the common parent responses and how would you, uh, how would you evaluate those? Well, I mean, I think they're the same responses that I have to my boyfriend. So (laughs) when he's not doing something that I need him to be doing, like, but doing the dishes or, you know, what, putting the laundry away. Uh, I think our instinct as human beings, when we're irritated, because like what it triggers in us is like irritation, worry, um, anxiety, like, you know, it triggers our own kind of emotional responses, negative emotional responses in our way, you know, like, right. Oh, I'm not particularly good in those moments. Like in those moments, I want to nag. 
Right. I want to be like, why didn't you put the laundry away? Do you see that the laundry's been out here for like two days? <laughs> for sure. Um, are your socks going to walk themselves to the closet? Like, you know, you start getting snarky and you try to use humor to deflect. But at the end of the day, you're irritated, right? And you start criticizing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You start judging. And I think as a parent, maybe, I mean, what I hear a lot from parents is, I think my kid is really lazy. You know, like I hear lazy all the time. Yeah. And yeah, there's one surefire way to make sure that your kid is not going to listen to you. And that is to call them lazy. <laughs> like that is just not, it's not helpful. Yeah. Right. Like people don't respond well to insults, insulting ourselves, insulting your kids, <laughs> right. labeling them is, is probably, I mean, they're probably already going to be annoyed with you. If you're bringing this up, like, Hey, what did, did you study for your science test on Friday? They're already going to be like, leave me a little mom. And like a door slam moment is going to happen. And then you, then you add a label on it. It's, it's, you've lost. <laughs> well, and the interesting thing is like, what I see with kids too is that once their parents label them lazy, they parrot it. They internalize it, right? For sure. And then they start believing that about themselves because then they'll say to me like, I don't know. I think I'm just lazy. And I'm like, no, I don't think you are lazy because what I'm hearing from you is that you want to do well in school, that you want to feel good about your grades, that you want your teachers to like you. Like, you know, I hear what you actually want mm-hmm. is not what somebody who's quote unquote lazy. I'm not sure I believe in laziness, honestly. Uh, first of all, side note, but you know, I'm not sure that like I've ever worked with a kid who's like, wait, like you said, way behind on school. Who's like truly lazy. Yeah. Who truly just like laziness just implies that like there a lack of care or interest or desire. And that's pretty rare. Like I, I don't meet a lot of kids who are just like intrinsically like care. I don't want to do this. It doesn't matter to me. And the ones who do say that kind of stuff, like, I actually don't believe them. (laughs) I think there's something else going on. It's rare that teenagers are truly apathetic. It's common, I think, that their behavior appears apathetic, if that makes sense, you know? Exactly. They absolutely care. They're watching things. You know, and I think it's like you, you named it. It's about looking beyond the surface, right? Okay. So like that kid I was talking about yesterday, poor thing. She had to, you know, I'm super curious because she's enabling all the, she's, she's naming all this behavior. That's highly problematic. It's just not getting her the results that she wants. Right. And it's causing all these adults in her universe to Mm -hmm. hound her. And all that is doing, by the way, is making her, is reinforcing the behavior. So all of that's doing is making her more anxious, which is only making her avoid her anxiety even more, which of course only makes her fall behind Mm -hmm. further. Mm -hmm. So when we were talking, I was just asking her a ton of open-ended questions, right? Mm -hmm. So I think one of the things parents can do when they're in these moments and they're really working hard to like not talk to their child the way you might talk to your boyfriend at times, mine too, by the way, um, is to, uh, that's a different podcast, um, is to (laughs) be very curious about what might be going on underneath the like behavior you're seeing, right? So have curiosity about the emotional dysregulation, the emotion that's causing your teen upset. And rather than address the behavior that's pissing you off and probably pissing them off, honestly, soothe that emotion, right? Like soothe, 
soothe the anxiety. Talk about that if you can. Yeah. If they'll let you. Well, totally. And I think that, you know, the tricky part is a, you know, I think that if you, if they let you part is really important because I think that, you know, what, yeah, why this is hard and why it's so hard for parents, I think, and why they, they come to us as coaches to say like, Hey, can you help my kid with this? Because I've been trying and I've been saying all this stuff and I've been trying to help him come up with systems and I've trying to help him come up with the plan and this, that, and the other thing. And it's just not working. They're not listening to me. And we've, touching on this in other episodes where we've said mm-hmm. teenagers just developmentally where they are, they're, they're not interested in listening to you as parents. Right. So there's this first layer, which is like, even if you gave really good advice, it probably, or it can't help them with the plan or try to come in and fix it. They may not even let you or want you to be open to that. Right. And so right. instead, can you come in and just be curious and kind of like be there with them right. in the moment and just help them process what they're going through, which I think requires parents to also practice what they're preaching, which is to soothe their own anxiety in doing that. Right. Because I think one of the things that, you know, apart from labeling, apart from judging, one of the things that I know parents will do is they'll try to fix it. Mm -hmm. Right. They'll literally say, okay, get out your math textbook right now. We're going to sit side by side. I'm going to walk you through these problems. And, you know, to some degree, sometimes students may need a little oomph to kind of get started. But a lot of the students you and I work with, that's only going to lead to more conflict. It's only going to like put into relief that the student is struggling. You know, the parent is usually doing that because they want to fix the anxiety that they're experiencing at knowing their child is falling behind in school. For example, if that's the issue, right? Oh yeah. That's why tutoring is such a boom lucrative business. Yeah. Yeah. So I think this idea of like being with your child in that emotional place without doing anything per se is really important. You know, being curious and holding space for what they might be feeling and offering some encouragement around that feeling, um, without doing things right without like making a plan even or putting out the steps. Sometimes they might want that. And if your child, if you're, if you have a teenager, that's like, Hey mom, Hey dad, could you help me put together like a plan and break this assignment out into chunks? Like good on you. Get all over that. (laughs) Take advantage of that. (laughs) Totally. Most students I think won't be that way. (laughs) Yeah. And I think it's, it, it actually is really helping. I mean, it's really helpful not just in this instant, but instance, but I think what teens are looking for is some like validation that what they're feeling is real and, and what they feel yep. is okay. Like this is a really hard thing. And this is, I totally get that. It makes you, you're feeling overwhelmed. Like in this case of your student, right? Yep. I'm going to actually bring in an, another student that I'm working with that I feel like mm. I want to strangle sometimes. I love them (laughs) and they are lovely and a wonderful person, but I feel Mm -hmm. frustrated and I'm like, Oh, this is what, how his parents must feel times a bazillion (laughs) because he's not my child and I don't have to live with him every day. So I'm helping him with his college process. And so he's super bright. He's a very good writer, but for some reason he won't, he's just like not making deadlines, you know, not the actual application Mm -hmm. deadlines yet, but my deadlines are internal deadlines for drafts of things to be done. And he's got a lot of writing to do and he keeps falling behind. He's falling behind. We've had a lot of conversations about 
like the exactly what we talked about, like, let's get curious about what's going on. You know, what is it that you're feeling? What's coming up for you? Like, yeah. How can we help you work through this or have put a system in place that helps you move forward even when things are really hard. Right. So I give him a bunch of tools. We've talked about this kind of ad nauseum Mm -hmm. and I've talked to his parents and we've all like been trying to encourage him from different places and he's a little better. Yeah. But he's still behind. Right. And he's still really struggling with the, uh, the doing and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I feel like in those instances, I kind of want to pull the nuclear option. And I don't know what you think about this, where I'm like, I just want to tell his parents, like, just tell him what the expectations are. Like, you will write this many drafts before you do anything else this weekend. And we're taking your car keys and your phone until you do it. (laughs) Like, what do you think about that? That's an interesting and very understandable instinct. I think sometimes, you know, I think sometimes that is appropriate. I, I don't know that that would be the, like the first lever I would pull. Right. But it sounds like here you are in a situation with a student who is, has been given sort of all of the right kinds of intervention strategies. And so I think like any problem, right, we try sort of something simple first. If that's not working, we try something different and we, you know, we we're flexible as coaches in our solutions. And I think sometimes that is an appropriate intervention. I will say this though. I mean, I think in general, it's always going to be better for parents. If you have certain expectations, for example, you have certain expectations about grades or you have certain expectations that, you know, this fun family thing that we had planned for Saturday, I told you, you know, can't happen unless X, Y, and Z happen. And that could be related to school, but it could also be things like cleaning your room or, you know, running these errands. I think it's always a good idea to be super clear about your expectations with your children from the get-go. And I'm of two minds. Sometimes I think that's a thing you can try. And then sometimes that won't work, right? Because sometimes that won't work. The nuclear option won't work. And that child will say to you, okay, take my car. I don't need to drive. Mm-hmm. You're just going to have to drive me anywhere, everywhere now. And then pretty soon you'll be giving the car mm-hmm. keys back. <laughs> interject with the story from my childhood. My mother one time as a teenager, it reminds me of this because, you know, my, my, I grew up in a strict household and I was a very (laughs) rebellious teenager. If you've listened to this podcast, you probably know that by now, but my mom, one time I was late coming home and this was like pre cell phones, pre smartphones, pre, pre everything. And my mom called my friend's house and found me, which is pretty good. I was like impressed that she figured out where I was and was like, is Kathy there? And, um, (laughs) my friend was like, yes. (laughs) And she's like, you tell Kathy. Yeah. It was probably like late. I mean, it was probably like 11 o'clock at night. Right. Maybe almost midnight. My mom was like, you tell Kathy that if she doesn't get home in the next 20 minutes, she can just not come home. Yeah. And I didn't. Nope. Okay. <laughs> I, just, I didn't Thanks, come home. I was like, great. I'm spending the night. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, sure. Yeah. I mean, fine. What teenager on this planet would choose going home to angry mom who, where you're probably going to get like the business the minute you walk right. in the door versus hanging out with your friend overnight. Right. <laughs> I was like, what kind of threat is that? No, I'm just gonna. I gotta stay. I gotta stay. I'm good. My mom couldn't believe it though. My mom was like, "What?" Like her mind was blown. Like you are. Who, you who are you? I don't know you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's kind of 
what I mean is like, I, I think some of this is a little dependent on your, your kid and your relationship, right. And, you know, reading the room. And so I think that sometimes right. that, so like, for example, if I were you in high school and that had happened to me, which it would not have happened because I was like le- much less of a rebellious teenager than, than Kathy, I would have immediately gotten my, my butt home. <laughs> but like, I'm so sorry. I apologize. Um, so, you know, for me, that kind of deference to authority, you know, was a, like, was a thing. And so I would have responded, but I think at what cost is a question I would raise. And, you know, sometimes I wonder what we're doing. So for example, in the example you provided, this kid who's applying to college and he's not getting high stakes well, it feels super high stakes, right? And so we have this student who isn't meeting these internal deadlines, therefore is, you know, not making you feel confident that they're prepared to apply on time. And maybe they'll kind of pull it together at the last minute, but the quality of the product won't be as strong had they listened to you all along. I guess the question I want to know is like, how much work are the adults going to do to prevent the natural consequence from happening? What I've learned in working with teenagers for like 20 years is sometimes the best thing you can do is get out of the way. Right. And if they are so committed to engineering their demise when in a class or on this process with college, even though it feels very high stakes, sometimes natural consequences need to happen. And that's the best way that they're going to learn and respond. Also, if we're intervening all the time at the last minute with threats you know, there's, there's the, what it does to your relationship with your child, but also I'm not sure what we're teaching them, right? We, what are they learning from that? So that would be my response to the nuclear option. I think there's a place for it Mm -hmm. sometimes in certain situations. And sometimes I think don't fix it. It's a different kind of more aggressive fix sometimes to me. And I'm, I'm a big fan of, you know, you and me are really, we talk a lot, Kathy and I talk a lot about how to grow good humans, about how to grow high functioning adults who have strong resilience. And one of the best ways you develop resilience is to fall flat on your face and figure out how to get yourself back up. Yep. And I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I feel like, you know, I tend to want to pull the nuclear option. I probably more than you, cause I was raised that way and I'm big on, I mean, consequences are important right? Like the, the consequence, like what you're saying here is like, maybe let him let, let the, like, and I think what parents aren't comfortable with is letting the consequence be yeah. not getting into college. Like that's just too big of a consequence. And so before that consequence happens, maybe we're going to put in some consequences. Right. And that makes sense. Yeah. And I would say the other thing that I wouldn't be opposed to pulling the nuclear option. And, you know, it like I said, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I am not, the parents, so I don't uh, pull the nuclear option, but uh, I certainly give parents the option to do that. But I would also say, you know, like what I did, what I have noticed that worked with the student in particular is like more handholding than I probably would do for a senior and making sure that he's feeling supported and that he has what he needs to be mm-hmm. successful. Um, and I think that can look like for a parent, like 
you know, something that's really easy to do with a student, if they're really like, you notice that they're putting something off, is just helping them get started. I think that's like one of the best tips that you can give around any sort of procrastination is having like, this is why when you're on a diet, they or, or you like want to run five miles or run a marathon, they always recommend doing it with a group or with somebody who can hold you accountable to like following through, right? And so you can be that. I mean, it's not always easy for parents to be that accountability accountability partner. Right. But if you have a good relationship with your child and you're able to do that, like you can do some of that and just help them get started. Like, Hey, I have this really, you know, long work email that I have to write and I've been putting it off. And so why don't we both get out our laptops and just sit down here at the kitchen table and just let's both get started and let's commit to writing. Let's both of us commit to writing for 20 minutes. Yeah. And once you, and once you start that, Right. You know, like the 20 minutes are like you get going and that's the hardest part. It's like, yeah, just start. <laughs> exactly. I, you know, I'm also, I'm, I, well, I'd be curious your thoughts on this in that scenario. I also think I can be a big fan of like small rewards, not that you're bribing your children, but like, Hey, let's, let's sit down do this for 20 minutes and then let's, you know, go for a walk and get some sunshine or like, let's just go get, grab a smoothie or something like just small rewards that can, interrupt the heaviness that students often feel and bring a little bit of lightness to, to the moment, I think can sometimes be, be really helpful. But I'm curious, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think rewards are incentivizing. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I think reward, you know, we talk about carrots, carrots and sticks, or I talk about carrots and sticks. I'm sure you do with parents too, because they are effective, right? That's why um, Mm -hmm. they get used so much in like schools, basically carrots and sticks all day long because it, it works and it's a very easy tool. And so, but I think you can use them in a way that make them feel more meaningful than if you finish this essay, I'll give you a hundred dollars, right? Like that's that to me, or like parents paying their kids for grades, right? It feels different to say, right. To it's, it feels different to give a reward. That's truly, uh, nourishing, that's restorative. It feels good. Right. It's like a, it's like a encouragement, right. It's like a different type of it's uplifting versus like purely transactional, right? Like it's generative. Yeah. 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 I'll I'll pay you to do this thing. It's just different. Well, and, and the other thing that I think is important about those moments is particularly if you're dealing with a really unmotivated student who is wrestling with some avoidance behavior because they're anxious about something or they have this really sort of outsized fear of failure or rejection or, you know, name any number of negative emotions that most of us feel at some point when we procrastinate or aren't motivated. It's also important for young people to be reminded that they, that some total of their being is not this behavior, Right. Mm-hmm. The student I was working with yesterday is super down and there were some lovely moments in our conversation where we weren't talking at all about her outstanding work. We weren't talking at all about how far behind she was. We were talking about the fun, you know, three things that bring her joy that she's going to do this weekend. Right. Um, really connecting her to these other parts of herself that are healthy and positive and happy to remind her that this is but a aspect of your reality right now. It's not your whole reality because they're, you know, they're often already feeling overwhelmed. And I think those little breaks, those moments of small nourishing rewards 
can help your child and you as a parent, kind of everyone remind themselves like, yeah, this is a frustrating moment we're in right now around a frustrating topic, but this isn't everything. And I think keeping that perspective helps. Totally. I love that how, you know, it's affirming for everybody involved, right? Like, I still love you. I believe in you. Um, yep. This we're going to be okay, right? Good job. I think that's another thing that parents sometimes forget, and I forget it too, absolutely, with my friends and my 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 family and and in my relationships. I often forget to like say like, "Hey, good job. <laughs> I'm really proud of yeah. you, right? Like you did, you know, yeah. you you did it. You you wrote for an hour. That's awesome. Yeah, you did a hard thing." Yeah. Even if it's, even if it's not everything, right? Like even if your student didn't make up all of their work, right? Like just, I think for parents to like notice when they're trying and just like giving tons of, uh, appreciation for those, those even like small efforts, what may feel small. Yeah. I think that gets you more mileage over the long haul. Right. And doesn't sort of disrupt your relationship with your child in, in other ways. And again, it goes back to what we said at the start of this podcast, that folks tend to respond better to positive reinforcement than not. So I think we've totally solved the problem. <laughs> we're geniuses. Completely. You'll ne- we're geniuses. You'll never run into it. I mean, just know, I mean, Kat, you're not alone. I mean, Kathy and I have to deal with this. I would say this, this comprises, you know, a lot, a lot, the majority, <laughs> yeah, a lot. Of, a lot of our of our conversations with young people, and um, it's a it's a challenging puzzle um, because every student who initially appears unmotivated or who is procrastinating, there's different things going on, and so that sort of being you know being a little bit of a detective in your own child's life to really understand underneath the behavior, like what might be showing up. Uh, can I think lead to some good conversations, some good behaviors, and hopefully we've been able to offer some of those. Um, and when in doubt, you can just go Mrs. Chen on them and call <laughs> around and <laughs> make a bunch of friends. I'm surprised that I'm actually a little surprised knowing your mom that you didn't go home. Oh no. My mom was scary, but I'm scarier. Like I was, my mom was like, <laughs> <laughs> she was like, when I was a kid, she was like, I was like, who, what? Like I, she just, she was like you as a kid. Like if her mom was like, right. You know, on her about anything, she'd be like, Oh yes, She snapped attention. She, she'd attend to it immediately. And I was never, ever like that. I was like, Nope, not going to do it. You can't make me go ahead and try. (laughs) Yeah. I know. This is why I coach teenagers for a living because you know, especially the hard ones. Cause I'm like, I hear you. I see you. I get it. I want to say that I think that this leads to another great, like one of the things that you said, uh, reminded me of an episode, an upcoming episode that we're going to do around red flags. So, you know, like behind every behavior that you see from your kid, there's usually more than meets the eye. And how do you know when you're like, Hmm, this Mm -hmm. is a little bit more than just my kid, you know, feeling overwhelmed with their, the amount of schoolwork that they have to do or feeling kind of insecure about who they are in this college process. Right. So when are those moments where you're like, mm, I really need to take a closer look and get some outside help to figure out what's really going on with mm-hmm. my kid because there might be something more serious going on. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a great topic for us to cover soon. Um, and then I want to end today with one 
so Meredith and I have decided that we're going to talk about like one fun thing at the end of each episode. So you, cause you know, and we've decided that fun thing is food because yes. if there is anything <laughs> that we like more than teenagers, it's eating <laughs> and food. And we talk about it a lot anyway. Frankly, we should have mentioned that as a potential intervention strategy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> food. Food. Let's is, go eat some. Food is, teens respond to food. It's true. It's true. I, it's I true. Um, am looking forward to finishing my lunch as we speak. So my question for you, Meredith, is as we are enter- entering the phase of the season that I called the thickening. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love this term. Kathy introduced me to this term. The thickening is the we're time in the, we're in the period. Great thickening. It, which I call like Halloween all the way through like uh, New Year's, right? Is the thickening because you just eat all of the things. My birthday, my birthday is smack dab in the middle of the thickening, so it's like extra for me. Uh, yep. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as we think about the thickening, and as we think of emerging from the thickening, what is your favorite healthyish breakfast? And then I'm going to share my favorite healthyish way to start the day. My favorite and don't say and don't say don't eat breakfast. I'm not into that intermittent fasting nonsense. Okay, but I kind of don't eat breakfast. But if I ate <laughs> breakfast, I'll uh, uh my first meal, how about we call it that? This is why you're skinny. <laughs> yes. Uh well, I'm going about to share this with you, but I just want the listeners to be aware that what I'm about to share Kathy has already told me is unhealthy. Um so I have a garden in my yard where I have, I think every species of kale growing. And it, for some reason it's like prolific. Why, why, why not just one? Well, you need more How many species of kale do you need? I think I have, do you? I think I have four growing three, four. I have the dinosaur. The supermarket kale. only has two. No, that's not true. <laughs> I've got the one with the curly leaves. I think I have this other kind of kale uh-huh. that I've never seen before. Anyway, I will go out and make myself uh, a smoothie and I will go cut. It's sort of just a vehicle for a lot of my vegetables that are growing in my yard. And when I shared this with Kathy, she told me that I was eating too much raw kale and that there's a, there's a toxicity issue with raw kale. So things that are good for you are apparently bad for you. We looked it up. It's true. I feel like I'd have, I mean, I'd probably have to like my body weight in kale. (laughs) So I would make a smoothie. I would, I would have some fruit and a lot of greens. And then I throw like, you know, ginger and turmeric and whatever else is kind of in my potions cabinet. And I knock it out. Plus coffee. That sounds uh, too healthy. I'm sorry. I love you, but it's too healthy. You said healthy. Okay, then I slab of bacon. How about that? Yeah, exactly. If you put a piece of bacon in it, I might be on board. But I'm like, no, I don't like. It. <laughs> I mean, bacon will definitely makes appearances. Do you put ju- like juice in there or like oat milk? Nothing. I, it's just like kale and ginger and herb. <laughs> oh, sorry. You want like every ingredient. Um, oh, no. I put water and then I have like a pea protein vanilla mix, oh, and no, then I put no. maybe a little uh, like almond milk. Okay, I strongly disagree with your healthy it's breakfast. It's good. You would like it. I okay. think you well, would like you, it. People can tell us which one. Okay, I'm going to tell you my healthy breakfast, and then people will email us or uh, <laughs> write to us and tell us which one they like better because I like to make, 
lots of late. And this is why I am not a skinny person because like breakfast is like for reals for me. I can't be having a bunch of kale and with some water mixed in. Um, <laughs> and some pea, pea protein. Ugh. Okay. So this is what I've been doing. I've been making Bertram usually. <laughs> Keep laughing, uh, and then okay. you're going to be, like, when you hear my breakfast, you're going to be really into it. I make Bertram muesli, which is uh, muesli. Yeah. yeah. You grate. Say. It, muesli. Uh-huh. Yeah, it starts with muesli. It starts with muesli. And then you grate. Mm-hmm. You grate an apple. I like to put a Granny Smith, a green, because mm. I like the tartness of the gra- okay. Granny Smith. You grate a whole apple in Too there. Too much labor. No, it does. It takes the grated apple literally takes three seconds. You're being ridiculous. And you go to your garden and pick the kale, Meredith. I Don't even start with the bee. <laughs> Talk about too much labor. No, I, just, I have to get an apple. Literally, off the counter and it. grate it. Okay, go ahead. Well, you, but you have to pick it out of the garden first. Okay, that's labor intensive. Uh, okay. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So I grate my apple and then I put yogurt uh-huh. and a little bit of yogurt, a little bit of oat milk, a little bit of honey, mm-hmm. and maybe some more nuts and chia seeds and hemp seeds and, and dried fruit in there. And you mix it all up. And Aiden likes that. My boyfriend at, likes to add a banana in there too, because he wants a really bulky, like he doesn't, that's like his big meal of the day. And then uh-huh. he eats dinner, but that's good. I do this Bircher muesli, and you know what? I am obsessed with it. It is so refreshing and delicious, and it makes me feel so healthy, and it's very filling, too. I mean, save the muesli. You're basically having a deconstructed smoothie. I am not. Uh, you are. There's, like, fruit, <laughs> yogurt. Like, it's just apple and yogurt. <laughs> honey, banana. It's just dried fruit. I suppose. Yeah, you kind of well, are. I suppose. So, and so you, I don't think our breakfasts are that far apart. Sometimes, okay. Sometimes if I have had like a, like a really hard workout, then I don't do my smoothie and I want like, I want like animal product. I want like three eggs. I want like protein. I want to eat like half a chicken. Three girl. (laughs) I don't know what to tell you. It's like, I, I live on either side of the bell curve. I don't know. Three eggs is too many. I love you, but your breakfast sounds delicious. Yeah. So I, everybody out there, you know, try the smoothie, try the Bircher muesli. Let us know which one you like better. It's obviously going to no, be my breakfast, no, but that's okay. I was of Kathy's <laughs> breakfast and how unsupportive she was of mine. Well, it's when you said I take kale and I put some water and that's pea what, protein, you lost, lost you. me. Okay. <laughs> yes. I'm like water and pea protein done. No, <laughs> I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> well, anyways, we could talk forever about food and we'll talk more about food in our future episodes. And this will then just become a food, food podcast. I love it. <laughs> but it was great talking to you, Meredith. Thank you for all the wonderful insight. Kathy, as per usual, a sage. <laughs> That's right. No, I mean, I think like your, your insights, especially leveraging your experience, not only as a coach, but just, you know, with these issues as a young person, it's just so important. It's really good. So I hope folks felt like we empathize and understand the issue and offered some, some tips, strategies, and things to think about further. Yeah. And if you have thoughts, you have questions, you can email us. All righty. Good to see you, honey. All righty. Have a good day, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of Shit Your Teenagers Won't Tell You. If you like what you're hearing and you have friends with teenagers, please share it with one of them. 
You can check out this episode and others on our website, wespeakteen.com. And we want to know what you want to know. So if you have questions or hot topics that you want us to cover, email us at hello at wespeakteen.com.